We have been traveling through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we find ourselves in chapter 7. By way of reminder, it is written by the Apostle Paul to uh, the church in Corinth, and he uh, loves this church. He founded this church, but this church has also got a lot of problems, got a lot of questions, and so he addresses how to live the Christian life is one of the main things he addresses. How do you live the Christian life in the midst of a very messed up, wild culture? Because the Corinthian culture that they were living in was pretty crazy, pretty wild. And so how do you, how do we as Christians navigate our lives here on earth? And so that's kind of the main message of it. So 1 Corinthians 7, we're going to start in verse 17. And... I told Kenzie beforehand, I'm going to try and be done in 20 minutes because we're going to do a lot of discussion afterwards, so buckle up. 20 minutes. <laughs> she didn't believe me that I could do it, and she's probably right, but we'll see what happens. 1 Corinthians 7, 17. It says, Only let each one lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the mark of circumcision. Has, was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Lord, I pray that tonight would be glorifying to you and that it would be helpful and instructive for us. I pray that if any are wrestling with decisions about calling and direction and where to go in life, I pray that you would provide clarity, pray that you would provide wisdom, and the Lord, as we all are making such big decisions right now, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be guiding and I pray that tonight would really be guided by your Holy Spirit, that you would be speaking, you would be moving, and that you would impress truths into our hearts. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So Paul shifts his attention. He was just talking about marriage and sexuality, which we talked a little about, about last week. And then he shifts his attention to calling and the assignments that the Lord gives us. It is really one of the most important things for us as young adults to be talking about. What has the Lord called me to? What is my assignment from God? Because it says in verse 17, let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him. That means you and I, we all have an assignment. We all have a calling. We've all been given a task by God, and then we ought to respond in faithful obedience to what that task is. And one of the main questions that we all have is, okay, what is my calling? What is my, where, where am I supposed to go? What is my direction? And a lot of the decisions right now in our lives are shaping the, the trajectory for the many years to come. 
depending on what school to go, you go to, depending on what intro level job you decide to go into to turn into a career. Uh, all of these decisions are happening right now, and so it's really important for us to be able to know, okay, how do I figure out what my calling is? And in these nine verses, the word calling or called is used nine times in seven verses. So it's jam-packed and jam-full, and all of the times it's used except for two, it's referring to one specific calling. It's referring to the calling of God for you to be saved. That's the first calling. That is the calling that matters more than any other calling. If you are here tonight and you don't believe in Jesus, that is the first task or the first assignment from God is to confess your faith in him because that will change the trajectory of your life. That will change everything. And so seven out of the nine times, it is talking about the call for salvation. Then two times, it talks about the call for the Christian and how we interact with culture, how we interact with the environment around us. It's a big question that a lot of people have. How do I interact with my non-Christian coworkers? How do I interact with non-Christian music or movies or, or the culture around us? And then also, how do Christians, what is their calling in regards to their vocation? That's what the second one is. And so the first one, talking about what is the calling for the Christian in culture, that is found in verses 17 through 19. So look with me back at that. It says, Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. That is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of uncircumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. So what's the deal with all the circumcised, not circumcised thing? It was basically a cultural difference. If you were circumcised, that was a distinct mark of the Jewish people. Therefore, you were a Jew. If you were uncircumcised, then you were everybody else. But specifically in, the, in his mind here is you would be a Greek. And so Corinth being in the Greek area, that's where that would be. So he's saying, were you a Jew when you were, became saved? Were you a Jew at the very beginning? He says, remain Jewish. You, you can be a Jew. He's like, were, were you a Greek when you were saved? Re remain a, a, a Greek. You can remain in the culture in which you were saved. Because, he says, for neither uncircumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. In other words, your standing and acceptance before God does not, is not determined by the culture in which you came from. And in fact, the culture in which you came from is, has no effect on your status in, in, before God. So what does that mean in our day and age? If you were saved and you're white, you can remain white. If you were saved and you were black, you remain black. If you were saved and you were from the South American culture, you can remain in the South American culture. I was reading this book by Leslie Newbegin, who is a, uh, it was called The Open Secret, an Introduction to the Theology of Mission. And he was a missiologist, which is a fancy name for a person who really likes missionary stuff. And he talks about how when missionaries go into another culture and they go into another environment, what you don't want to do is have someone become converted and then remove them from their culture. Because when you do that, you're taking one of the best advocates for the gospel out of their community. Instead, you want the person to be saved. 
We want the person to confess faith in Jesus and remain in their communities, remain in their cultures, because they're the best advocates for the gospel. And so what we don't want to do is be saved, save someone or, or have someone become believing in Jesus and then take them out of their culture or take them out of their, their, their environment. Because ultimately that'll be counterproductive to the gospel. And so in our lives, when we confess our faith in Jesus, it doesn't mean we cloister ourselves from everyone around us. Do you work at Dutch Bros? Work at Dutch Bros. Do you, are, are, do you like... Are, do, do you have non-Christian family members? You don't isolate yourselves from them. You have non-Christian friends. You don't isolate yourselves from them. Instead, he's saying, what culture are, 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 have you come from? Go ahead and remain in that culture because it doesn't account for anything. And there's really two different prevailing narratives that come along with uh, how a Christian should interact with culture. And the first one I think can be best characterized by the picture that, yeah, there we go. You guys remember this picture? Who growing up in Christian circles can tell me what this picture is? It's not of this world. Not of this world, exactly right. It's not of this world. It was really popular in the 90s, early 2000s. I remember it. And, um, I mean, I was born in 96, so I don't really remember the 90s. But, not of this world. This was a very popular thing. And what it emphasizes is the fact that you and I were not of this world, and therefore it tends to emphasize isolating ourselves from the culture around us, because we're not of this world. Let's contrast that for a second with this next thing. This next thing, this is a hymn from 1899 by a guy named Maltby Babcock, and it's called This Is My Father's World. And it says, this is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. These seem to be two contradictory notions about how a Christian is supposed to interact with culture. Is it not of this world? Or is this my father's world and I see him everywhere and in all that's beautiful and in all that's fair, I see that he's inside of it. And oftentimes we can sway back and forth between, nope, not of this world, I'm going to isolate myself, or this is my father's world, and all of a sudden you're just like in the middle of it all. And the answer to this is that the gospel is always the answer. What does the gospel say? God created everything and it was good. And this is my father's world, that he truly is in control and that he created everything, and that he designed humans to create in the garden. He sent them out and said, fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, go and create civilization. It's called the cultural mandate, the fill the earth and subdue it. Create culture, create societies, create civilization. This is my father's world. But chapter three, the fall happens. And we as humanity are exiled from the garden and therefore always feel like we're far from home. And in reality, we're not of this world. We're made for something different because the world has gone so wrong. Yet through the gospel and what Jesus has done, God has come and paid the price for the sin so that way all of the world is being renewed. And so we can look forward to that day, but that day hasn't come yet. And so in the story of the gospel, it weaves back and forth between both of them. And to, ex to be on either one of those extremes is ultimately to miss the glorious balance that's within the gospel. So that's the Christian call 
when it comes to um, when it comes to, to the culture, and if and if that's like um, so sometimes that can be like a little theoretical, and so that's why I love Paul. He he says. Neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but keeping the commandments of God. So what does that look like in our everyday life? You obey. You look to the scripture and you obey. If you're wanting to know what's my call, what's the calling for how I interact with the people around us, obey the scripture. Obey the commandments of God. That is what you're called to do. So that's the first thing. Second thing, what is God's calling for us in our vocation? In our actual jobs. So he goes on to say in verse 20, let each one remain in the condition in which he was called. And this is the second time that the word calling is used, not in the sense of um, salvation, where it says each one should remain in the condition, or literally in the Greek it's calling, in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you have, if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord is a bondservant, as a bondservant, is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let there let him remain with God. So he talks about bondservants and, and masters and um, or freedmen or bondservants. And bondservants in that day or slaves, as it literally is in the Greek, doesn't have all of the cultural baggage that our modern culture has, actually. Um, it, they, they didn't know about the African slave trade when Paul wrote this. And so that's something that we have infused into the word slavery. At this time, it wasn't really based on race, and it was rarely for, for life. And so it, being a slave or a servant, you, you could gain your freedom and, and stuff like that. And so it's very different culturally at the time. So this isn't an advocation for slavery. So it's much easier to think of, do you have a normal job or do you have, because like most people were slaves, so do you just have a normal job? Or are you a freedman, like independently wealthy or something like that? <laughs> like the two extremes, right? And so Here's his instructions when he talks about calling with vo- in regards to our vocation or what we're supposed to do. He says, to remain in the condition in which you were called. In other words, to be content. In other words, God cares a lot more about who you're becoming rather than so much about what job you end up going into or what school you end up going to. He immediately dives into the spiritual aspect of, you are a servant of Christ. You're a servant of him. Instead of going into all these different nuances of of, of how to make a, a decision when it comes to calling, he says, are you serving Christ? Are you experiencing the freedom that comes with Christ? Are you abiding in him? Are you remaining in him? That's what really matters. What matters is your spiritual condition, not your economic position. That's what he's really getting after. And immediately when I read that, I was like, that's it? (laughs) That's all we get? Like, we're still making big decisions. Like, that's all we get? And then it really hit me of like, well, I have been really influenced by the pressure of our culture to make 
our job and our vocation are God and our idol and our definition. So often people look at what they decide to do with their lives as like, this is going to be the end-all, be-all fulfillment of my life. And that's not what it's meant to be. It's an important decision, but it's not the most important decision. It's a big deal, but at the same time, there are bigger things. And so we can put so much weight and so much pressure on ourselves to figuring out what our vocation is going to be when God really cares about our spiritual condition and are we remaining and abiding in him. So I encourage you to take a deep breath <laughs> if you're making those decisions. It's going to be okay. God's in control and he's working through all of these things in order to build a character in you. And that's what he cares about most. But to go on the practical side, we're all making these decisions. How do we make decisions in, in regard to calling and in regard to whether or not we're going to move or what my job is supposed to be? And I have what I call the three C's. I just made it up earlier today. <laughs> <laughs> and the first is when making decisions about job and vocation and, and decisions like that, you need to have community, compatibility, and also the chance. So first, community. Make sure you're making it in community. Don't just make the decisions on your own. The Bible says in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. When there's a lot of people speaking into your life, that makes it much less of a chance that you're going to make a dumb decision and a much greater chance that you're going to make a wise decision. So make sure you're in community. Secondly, compatibility. And what this means is, is, it is the vocation you're thinking about going into compatible with your gifts that, that you've been given? with your talents, your ability, and your natural inclinations. Does it really, is it really compatible with who you are as a person? And not only that, is it compatible in a such a way that it actually brings you joy and you're excited about it and you want to do it? Because if you're drudging, that's just a bummer. <laughs> so like, do you actually have the, the, um, the joy when you think about doing something like that? And also, is it compatible with scripture? Obviously, if something is inherently sinful, that wouldn't be a appropriate vocation for the Christian. So is it compatible with scripture? And then finally, the last C is the chance. Do you have the opportunity? You might be a fantastic actor and love acting and feel like you have the gift and everyone tells you that you're just a great actor, but there's no opportunity for you to go for it. Well, then maybe that, that's just not your calling. Or sometimes people feel super passionate about a certain kind of ministry where they really want to reach out to, um, like, the homeless in downtown. Like, I just really want to reach out to the homeless of downtown. People tell me that I'm really good at reaching out to the homeless and I can just understand where they're at. And you're really excited about it. And then you, you go to your church, whether it's Edgewater or somewhere else, and you say, hey, I want to start this ministry. And they're like, okay, great. Well, like, let's have a, let's have a, let's have a night, a, a sign-up night to kind of get that going. And so you have the night and no one comes. Well, maybe for now, for this season, that's not what you're called to do. Doesn't mean never. It just means maybe not right now. And it's easy in the, in the middle of that to be like really frustrated and like, oh Lord, I really want this. People say this, like what's going on? But the Lord is orchestrating the timing. And as that timing comes, it'll work out for his glory. So is the opportunity there? So those are the three C's in how to make a wise decision in regards to vocation. 
But what I love is at the end of verse 24, what God is again focusing on is not the idolatry of making job the biggest thing possible. Instead, he says, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, or in whatever calling each was called, whatever job you might have, because at this time they didn't really have the social mobility that we had, um, they couldn't just switch jobs all the time. So in whatever situation you find yourself in, let them remain with God. That word there for remain in the Greek is meno, which is kind of fun, meno. And in most other passages of scripture, it's translated as abide. And so to summarize 1 Corinthians 7, this passage of what God is calling you and me to do, he's calling us to obey the commands of scripture and abide in Christ. Does that sound like anywhere else in the Bible to anybody else? Where else does it talk about abiding in him by obeying the commands of scripture? Does anyone know? John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Turn with me to John chapter 15. And this is where we're going to end. I'm done. It was 23 minutes. It was close. John chapter 15. It talks about what it means to abide in God. To abide in Christ. And the only reason you and I can abide in Christ is because first, Jesus, he was in the abode of God. He was united with God. He was God himself, yet he came down and he was cut off on the cross. And when he was cut off on the cross, that provided a way for us to be grafted in. It provided us a way to abide in God. He created that way. And so in and of ourselves, we can't do it, but because of what Jesus has done, we can now abide in him only by grace. And so when we are going to, what we're going to do is we're going to split up into a couple groups and to talk about what it means to abide in Christ and what it means to abide in him. And as we do that, it's all based on the foundation that we couldn't do it on our own. Instead, Jesus did it on our behalf. And so now we get to respond in loving obedience and say, okay, you've created this. You've made this way. You've grafted me in. Now I want to abide. Now I want to follow after him. So that's the foundation of it. But what we're going to do is, um, I got a whiteboard. And we're going to split up into groups of approximately three to five. More than five, it's really hard to talk because there's so many people. Less than three, it's way too easy. And so John 15, what does it mean to abide? That's what God's called us to do in 1 Corinthians 7 and then also in John chapter 15. What does it mean to abide in God? Second, what commands need to be obeyed? Because that's what we're called to do. We're called to obey what he's done or what he said. And so what commands need to be obeyed either in this passage or in your life when you're thinking, okay, this is something that I really need to obey. This is something I need to respond with in obedience. And then if someone is struggling with a decision, now's the perfect time to apply the three C's to a decision um, where you can talk amongst your community and see if, see if that works and see if, that, if you can come to, a deci- come to a decision. So I'm gonna split up in groups three to five. And afterwards, um, we're all going to come together in a big group like this. And if anyone has any thoughts or findings or um, like, oh, I think this is something that I found that, that's really interesting, 
we'll just be, do a big group discussion all together. And so I'm going to pray before we dive into it, but groups of three to five, all of John chapter 15, answer these three questions, and then we'll gather together. Lord, thank you that we get to spend time in your word. I pray that you bless this time of discussion. Thank you that, Lord, the calling that you have given us is so simple. Thank you that it doesn't have to be so complicated, but instead we can just obey you and abide in you. Pray that you'd help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.